Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. This is the Adweek Podcast where we're talking about marketing, media, technology, pop culture, because in the end, everything is an ad. I'm David Greiner. I'm the international editor with Adweek. Uh, and with me is our commerce editor, Lisa Lacey. Lisa, it is always a pleasure to have you on the show. Well, thanks for having me back. It is a big week for you and your team uh, and uh, and several other staffers because we've been putting together our 2021 Adweek CMO Awards. This is... Uh, a fascinating year for an award like this too, uh, which is kind of where I wanted to start uh, because I think I think listeners who are you know kind of nerds about advertising and marketing will recognize quite a few of these names and definitely uh, probably all of these brands. But let's start first with what were we looking for in terms of who would be honored with uh, one of Adweek's CMO awards this year? What was kind of the criteria of what we would consider a success uh, in 2021? Well, I mean, it really was all just about uh, the pandemic and, and how brands responded to the pandemic. I mean, literally no one was was not affected by this last year. So it was looking at, um, you know, how brands kind of uh, took on the this, this kind of once-in-a-lifetime crisis and uh, – pivoted uh, in some cases uh, to uh, ensure that that customers remain safe while they were browsing or transacting um, or also uh, brands like a like a Lysol which customers needed uh, or, or we saw demand surge uh, and so how that how the brand kind of um, met that demand but also uh, there were a lot of brands that, that gave products away um, things like that so those were those were foremost in, in kind of what we were looking for in compiling this list this year. Yeah, and I think it's safe to say that it's not enough for your business to have simply been popular or in demand this past year, right? Like, because to your point, it's about either adapting to an extremely high demand uh, that you were generally unprepared for, uh, or also, I think more frequently looking across these, and we're obviously about to start giving examples of who all is in here, uh, it's, it's a lot about being willing to adapt your to the to this new customer i mean we use the phrase customer experience a lot and consumer yes. experience a lot in in the marketing discussions but man this past year think about how many businesses small and large really had to completely overhaul the way that they that they sell you things you know 
Yes, yes. Um, well, and uh, Amazon uh, obviously comes to mind. Uh, Amazon is, is a company that I write about a lot. They did want to be very clear that uh, the the marketing professional on this list, I believe Neil Lindsay is his name, that uh, he was not directly involved in on the like logistics side. Because if you remember, you know, about a year ago, uh, Amazon had to sort of halt what was coming into its warehouses uh, in order to meet demand demand for, uh, you know, certain household goods. And so third-party sellers uh, sort of weren't able to, to send all of the other things, all the other 500 million plus products that, that Amazon sells uh, so they could focus on, uh, you know, masks and, and disinfectant and, and that kind of a thing. So Neil Lindsay was not involved directly in that, but he is on this list, um, you know, along with like, like, Said you know your 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 WalMarts, your your Dick's Sporting Goods, other brands that um, that saw or retailers that saw a, a peak, uh, huge peaks in demand as as customers were stuck at home and uh, and looking to to buy stuff online. Well, let's why don't you tell us um, maybe a trend or a theme you noticed uh, going across these, and then maybe we can talk about one or two examples uh, of those themes. W- what was kind of something? I know we've already touched on a few aspects of this, but what what's one that comes to mind? Um, I think inclusivity is, is something that, that we saw uh, a lot throughout 2020, um, brands trying to be more inclusive. Uh, so there are two retailers on this list. Uh, Abercrombie & Fitch actually is one of them. Um, and I, I feel like going back to kind of my own uh, teenage years, I picture, you know, it was very much like the hard body, the teenage hard bodies at the mall kind of a thing was the uh, was the Abercrombie & Fitch brand. Um, and that I forget what the name of the CEO was at the time, but there was that guy who got himself into so much trouble because he said something totally horrible, like, you know, like he like he wasn't interested in, in fat consumers or something like that. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. So uh, but now all of these years later, uh, obviously has new leadership. And so um, my colleague Richard Collings wrote about how they're just they've made this um, big push. Uh, Carrie Collins Krug is the, is the head of marketing there now and how they have transformed uh, themselves from kind of one of the most hated brands in the U.S. to uh, one of the most inclusive. Another one is Sephora. They signed the 15% pledge last year. They've opened up more shelf space to Black-owned brands. The CMO, Deborah Yeah, has talked about the brand's pride in its values, uh, including, I mean, there were a lot of tests last year, um, but that they had, uh, because they have those strong values at the core, uh, that they, uh, you know, were able to uh, align the brand with those values and and make some progress on some of these uh, very heated issues last year. Yeah, you know, it, it's funny to, I mean, not funny, but it's like, it's fascinating to look back on in, in her comments, uh, in, in our write-up, uh, she talks about, you know, how important it was that they had a strong stance on racial equality, thinking back to all the Black Lives Matter, uh, protests and, and issues after George Floyd's death last year. Uh, and then she mentions the election. She mentions the, um, the the attacks on Asian Americans, you know, and and just about how she takes great pride in the fact that the brand had strong statements on those, um, and it just also reminds you how much, you know, brands and people, humans have had to navigate this past year. So, any other themes jump out at you? Um, well, there, I feel like there's also this bucket of just brands that were that were really popular. Uh, Peloton is on the list. Obviously, they've they've had uh, some some bad news today, but um, last year this was an incredibly popular brand uh, that sort of seemed like it could do no wrong. 
um, also impossible foods. I think 2020 was was arguably the year of, of plant-based meat, maybe. I forget when, when Burger King introduced the Impossible Whopper, but, you know, that was a brand uh, that, that also had a huge year. A Calm, the meditation app, remember, I think it was CNN where they sponsored the election alert. So that yeah. felt like that was a very clever way for uh, the this this meditation app to get its name out there, uh, and Popeyes. Really, Popeyes had had a really killer year last year uh, as well. Um, the the woman who was in charge of their marketing efforts, who I believe has since moved on to uh, Burger King to replace the that guy who's very popular, whose name <laughs> I am not thinking. Fernando I, Machado. Yeah. Yes, that guy. Um, that guy. Yeah, uh, no, she she has been promoted up to uh, for the the whole parent company. I believe she's now chief brand officer. Uh, so with Fernando Machado's exit, um, from being global CMO, uh, for all the, the, basically, uh, for those who don't know, Burger King, Popeye's and Tim Horton are all part of the same company, Restaurant Brands International. And so, um, they essentially had Fernando Machado at the top, uh, and Paloma Azale, uh, who had been the uh, CMO at Popeyes, which of course has had a very strong few years. I, you know, she will now be moving into this new role of chief brand officer. Uh, so it's very exciting to see her on there. That's a those are big shoes to fill. Uh, Fernando's certainly the most kind of celebrity CMO um, of, you know, of this past five years or so. Uh, it certainly puts a lot of pressure on her, but she certainly she seems very up for it. I, I have a weird question. Um, and, and I don't expect you to specifically know the answer, but like, what is the reach of Popeye's? Like, are they everywhere? Popeye's isn't everywhere, is it? Yeah. Everyone, the U S or everywhere in the yeah, world. I mean, no. I feel like, I feel <laughs> like, like just the U S I mean, <laughs> um, is it in I mean, every I, country? <laughs> um, I, I mean, now I, you've, you've piqued my curiosity. I want to well, I, I noticed when I was I was traveling up to Northern Illinois recently, where they do not have Popeyes. Uh, I feel very I feel confident in saying I've not ever seen one up there. If they do have them, maybe maybe around Chicago. Um, but uh, but I noticed that the Burger King menu now has the Popeyes chicken sandwich, or at least one that looks very very similar. And I was like, mm, that's pretty smart. That's synergy. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Because like if you've been hearing all about this Popeye's chicken sandwich and you live in a region that doesn't have it, chances are you do have a Burger King. Uh, so I thought that was pretty smart. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I want to mention I think she was also part of the team that uh, when there was some chatter uh, on social media about how uh, Beyonce's Ivy Park line. Uh, that the latest drop looked a lot like Popeye's uniform. She was the one who sort of pulled that, uh, the, their own kind of Ivy Park-like uh, collection together, which quickly sold out. Uh, she was part of the team that, that decided to retire. I think her name was Annie, the, the mascot Annie, uh, to, to make it uh, a little more, to give, give the brand some, some wider appeal. Uh, so so she's, she's done a lot at, at Popeye's. Now, now, one that I thought was really interesting, I was glad to see her on here, Marissa Thalberg, um, from who is, uh, she has been at several brands, uh, including Taco Bell, right? Marissa, was that? Yes. Um, yeah, I think when I met her, she was there. She is now the uh, chief brand and marketing officer at Lowe's. And what a wild year for home improvement, you know, in so many ways. Uh, it, for those who didn't try doing a, a home project of any kind over this past year, good luck getting wood uh, was, the, was the first part. Like the... Just the actual supplies were really hurt by the early supply chain issues, uh, and then everybody was building stuff. 
And I'm just going to say as a frequent Lowe's goer, um, you know, I am there pretty much every weekend. Um, and and at, at this past weekend, I went to two different Lowe's because <laughs> I needed to buy like a lawnmower and something else and had to go to two different locations. Um, I've been really impressed with them. They've uh, they've done a great job of keeping up with uh, like they have mask policies, even though I'm in a uh, I'm in an area that no longer has a mask mandate and bless Lowe's for still maintaining that you have to wear a mask to come in. Uh, but just that experience like throughout uh, Lowe's has really managed some very intense uh, demand and uh, while kind of continuing their their, you know, not say normal marketing, but it's been impressive. Uh, I think they've navigated that well. Yeah, you know, uh, one thing that I was really fascinated with uh, late last year was online Christmas tree orders, and uh, Lowe's was one of the the retailers who was doing that, and that's one of those things. Obviously, uh, these are, uh, well, they're not alive anymore, but they were at one point. They vary in size a great deal. Uh, They're covered in beetles that can fall off, and it's like it's the centerpiece of, of many Christmas celebrations and so it's like and it's it's a symbol that has like meaning attached to it so you know if if there was something that happened in the delivery process and it arrived and it was ugly or you know bald in a spot or something like that would be a, a problem so I don't actually know how how well that that worked for them uh in in 2020 or, or if uh how many consumers used it or anything like that but I thought that it was it was kind of one of those uh big swings that, that I think, uh, is, is super interesting to see. And I do imagine, um, you know, maybe even, uh, the holiday season 2021, we'll see more, uh, things like Christmas trees be available, uh, online. Um, but, all, uh, all I want, Lisa, I want one, <laughs> one thing. I want a 50 foot skeleton. <laughs> None of this, none of this 15 foot. I want to go big or go home. I want to be able to order a 50 foot skeleton in the mail. Where, where, where would you put it? I don't, I want it to tower over my neighborhood like, like a, like a colossus. <laughs> Just the 15 foot skeleton from Home Depot last year. And I, cause I, I take it. But I, I said that there should be a war, and I wanted to see Lowe's like roll out like a twenty five foot skeleton and just keep up an arms race of Halloween skeletons. And uh, Marissa clicked like on that tweet, so I take that as a as a confirmation. I think yeah. they're they're going to do it, and I won't rest until it's at least fifty feet. Uh, <laughs> I I hope that happens for you this, this Halloween. Yes. Um. One one brand. I we we don't have too much more time. Uh, so I don't want to, and and I want to leave a lot of I want to leave some surprises. There's so many brands we haven't even gotten to, and I want people to check out uh, the article on Adweek.com and see many and learn about lots. If you work in advertising, if you work in brand marketing, uh, pretty much I you know if you're the kind of person who listens to the show, I think you will learn a lot about the landscape of which brands, which leaders are really doing amazing things. One that uh, I will be talking to is Dina Bari at uh, you know the CMO for StockX. Uh, StockX has had a wild year um, and a wild few years. Uh, for those who don't know, this is a reseller kind of marketplace uh, best known for sneakers, uh, for sneaker reselling. And uh, it is just the reselling market is tens of billions of dollars just for sneakers. I mean, it's it's you can't even get your head around like the scope of how big the reselling market is now. Uh, but what's been fascinating seeing, and this is a very strategic thing and I haven't had my conversation with Dina yet. Uh, it'll be at our, our CMO summit in the next few days, but, um, I'm really fascinated to hear about how they strategically, you know, StockX is not eBay, 
they don't just let you throw whatever up on there. Um, they are very selective, very strategic about what categories of products. And so it's been really interesting seeing what gets in there, like Pokemon cards. Pokemon cards are like the hottest resell thing at the moment, which I think is fascinating for more reasons than I have time to get into. But people are hoarding them. People are camping out at Targets on like Thursday nights to get a hold of fresh boxes of Pokemon cards. Um, and it's just inter- it's fascinating to me watching StockX really navigate this very emerging industry. And then also just what do they want to have on their site? Because again, you don't want to just become a Craigslist of here's everything. You know. Uh, anyway, why don't you um, why don't you hit us with one more that you wanted to talk about before we uh, before we segue out here? Well, when you uh, when you mentioned StockX, I briefly uh, conflated that with Public.com, which had that great Michael Bolton ad, uh, and so they they are also on this list. I think in, in large part because of said ad with Michael Bolton, uh, which uh, really kind of uh, got uh, got got some attention for this this sort of up and coming. Uh, mobile investing platform uh if you haven't seen the ad uh i highly suggest checking it out it it is uh it's it's a good one and it's the easiest cmo name to remember it's uh it's katie it's katie perry <laughs> yes that too that too uh so it's spelled slightly differently but yes katie perry vp of marketing for public.com um and uh they were um they were they were involved in that whole uh rigor morale over over gamestop right like where people were fighting really hard against against trying to drive up the the value of of GameStop and get it up there, and I think Robinhood said we're not going to let people uh, hang on to these shares, uh, which really ticked a lot of people off. And then I think Public was kind of on the other side, right? Am I remembering that? You know that that whole GameStop thing—it's kind of like NFTs. It's like I sort of vaguely know what it is, but I don't completely understand what happened. Um, so uh, you're you're probably right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, that's a fascinating space. This, I I guess they call it retail, um, stock purchasing, meaning like kind of DIY, uh, day trading as we used to call it. Uh, that space is red hot. I think Robin Hood's, uh, kind of rebounded, uh, from that reputation hit that they took during all that. I'm sure there's some people still upset about it, but, um, but it was an interesting, I feel like a lot of those brands, people barely knew until that whole thing started. And then suddenly, like overnight, everyone knew these brand names and they have a lot of money. Like their marketing, their budgets are insane um, to, for brands that I think a lot of people hadn't really heard of. Uh, so I suspect in the next year, I think they will out survive. This is bold, bold prediction. I think um, <laughs> I think uh, retail stock trading will, will outlast uh, uh, NFTs or even... Uh, Clubhouse, uh, which is is our next topic. So before we uh, segue over to Clubhouse, to uh, social audio, social live audio, and kind of what a massive trend that has been in the last few months and will continue to be in the weeks and months ahead. Uh, thank you, Lisa, and and just encourage everyone check out our roundup of the CMO Awards winners for 2021. Lisa Lacey, Commerce Editor for Adweek. It is always a pleasure to chat with you. Always a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much. Thanks, Lisa. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we we are back, we will be talking Clubhouse and social audio. So stick with us. All right, uh, we're back. And uh, it it finally feels like a real episode now because we've got Co-M, our co-host back. Co, good to have you back. Everything is real and everything is fake. Just kidding. Um, we have our very real platforms reporter, Scott Nover, with us as well. Hi, Scott. Hey guys, thanks for having me back on the on the show. 
Always a pleasure to have Scott on. Scott covers uh, all manner of platforms, be they uh, social media mostly, um, but uh, a lot of a lot of stuff, a lot of hot uh, properties, and including uh, one of the most hot of this past well, year. Six months a year. Uh, it feels like uh, Clubhouse, the social audio. Scott, give us the 15-second uh, version of what is Clubhouse for those who did not follow the craze. Oh, boy. I think we could all give a 15-second version. It'd be completely different. Um, it is a live audio platform in which um, there is a virtual stage and a virtual audience, and people can have conference-like audio panels um, on this app. That's kind of the short of it. I remember when it first came out, there was a lot of people, like Discord fans, were saying, you mean like Discord? But it was a little different, right? Discord didn't have that like live panel kind of vibe. I think they've yeah. added it since then, right? But Yeah, they just added something called stage channels, and we can get into this a little bit. And But yeah, um, Discord has had, um, had live audio features for a while, um, so it's not like that new, but maybe for the majority of Clubhouse's audience, it is pretty new. So, Co, I feel like you and I both uh, glommed on to Clubhouse pretty early, and then you have been better, may, way better than I have about moving on to Twitter Spaces, which is the Twitter equivalent. Um, and uh, I guess before we get into, we're, and I should be clear, we have Scott here to talk about, uh, is Clubhouse going to stick around? Is it going to go the distance? Or if nothing else, has that model, has that template uh, caught on and will that have lasting consequences? Uh, but before we get back to Scott on that, uh, Co, I'm just curious, like, like I said, you have transitioned really effectively over to Twitter spaces, or it seems like you have, what's been your experience? Do you still dabble in clubhouse? Like what's your, what's your current live audio situation? Yeah, I, I think I was like many of the early adopters kind of really interested in how exclusive clubhouse felt. Um, and then, at least for me, a little turned off by how salesy it got, right? Uh, to be fair, I did apply for their creators program and I did not get chosen. Had I been chosen, I would have continued to create content on there. Um, and admittedly, you have many more followers than I do for uh, probably good reason, but we don't know why. Like, <laughs> it's an unknown reason why. Um, but Twitter Spaces has felt more like casual for me. Either way, you know, I think they're both um, really interesting ways to connect with people through interests and communities have built by have been built by you know guessing what your um, favorite uh, breakfast sandwich is and then you know people getting deals like the NYU girls roasting you know other guys I Tech mean they, bros, they are yeah. they were now they are now represented by um, a, a, an agency they have like basically a deal. Um, that will garner them millions of dollars potentially. Um, and uh, so I, I think there's room for this to stick around, but um, I also know, Scott, that you've been reporting on um, the number of downloads that have diminished over time. So it's a matter of momentum from here on out, no? Yeah, what's the what's the status of Clubhouse? Is it dying? Is it dead? What's up? Um, it is not dying. It's not dead, but the... Um there's not, there hasn't been any good news recently. <clears throat> so um, Clubhouse really peaked in popularity around the winter. That's probably when you started hearing about it, December, January, February, um, even March. Um, January, they saw a huge surge, like 2.4 million downloads. And then February, even more so, 9.6. Then it's kind of come back to earth um, since then. 
2.7 million in March, and then only less than a million, 922,000 in April. And those aren't great numbers uh, in if you want, you know, month over month growth, which is what, you know, this a company like this would want. Um, there's some caveats to that. Um, Clubhouse is still invite only. You can't just download it without an invite. Um, and then the other big feature, big facet of it is that Android users still can't get on. Oh, wow. They're um, still not on Android, huh? No, they're still not on Android. They're working on it, um, but uh, Clubhouse still hasn't debuted for Android yet, and that's going to be a big surge. You would have to assume, but is it going to? Is the hype over? Is kind of a bigger question because it's a platform that's built built so heavily on hype. Um, and now we're kind of answering two big questions: like, is the platform? Is Clubhouse something that is going to stick around? Because you know, is the magic still there? Um, or will it be kind of a feature of, you know, a different platform, you know, the social audio, live audio stuff. And we're seeing a lot of competitors, um, adopt similar features and functionality. Um, and then the other big question is like, will anyone want to do this once, you know, bars and restaurants open up and you have literally anything better to do, (laughs) go to an actual conference or, you know, and so uh, I think these are all really interesting, valid questions, and it gets at this question of whether Clubhouse is a viable platform or if it's just kind of a format that we'll see um, rolled into other bigger incumbents in the future. Yeah, I, I I will say this, like, I knew about the existence of Discord, right? I knew it was a thing, and I knew a lot of people used it. But because I don't play online gaming, I, I'm certainly a gamer, like I'm an obsessive gamer, but I don't, I avoid online gaming. So I just never needed it. I was like, eh, I don't need to chat with people. I'm not doing any live gaming. But I will say that Clubhouse now, I've gotten more people telling me, hey, come join, come sign up for my my Discord. A lot of the groups I was most active in, or, or I don't know what you call them, uh, not, what, what is it, like, not channels, Clubs, I guess, is that what clubs, clubhouse yeah. called them? That like was there. The ones, term. the ones that that were most active early on when I when I was using it are now moving to Discord for whatever. Well, I guess you tell me. And like, what are the benefits now of of moving to something like Discord? I mean, I think it's just easier now for a lot of people who didn't experience live audio function on you know a social sense uh, beforehand. And Clubhouse has done a great um, service in terms of adoption of this kind of new habit. And I think that um, getting back to it, the question is whether that habit is translatable elsewhere. You know, if Discord has a you know better product or a similar product or Twitter or Facebook, Reddit, you know, all of these companies are, are building this, you know, or if there is such a, you know, that X factor that keeps people on Clubhouse, you know, specifically. And, and that's, you know, that's incumbent on 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 Clubhouse to to make, um, you know, you can look at. You can look at um, at TikTok and kind of all the copycats of TikTok and they haven't really taken off because there's something special about TikTok and the community there and the experience and the algorithm. Um, I'm just less confident that Clubhouse can you know, fashion itself in a way that that's that unique. Right. Um, right. I mean, I you mentioned TikTok and I thought about it, too, of when people are returning to the new normal are they still going to be watching it? And my guess is yes, because people still have built a fan base and you will still scroll at the end of the night. And so, and similarly, you know, I look at the more popular clubs like the Lullaby Club, right? 
And I can imagine that still having traction of people listening at nine o'clock at night to try to fall asleep. Um, but if Lullaby Club became an IRL thing, right, they had some concert um, in New York or Seattle or San Francisco, wherever, um, are people still going to be tuning in? I, I mean, it, it's it's kind of interesting to see which um, platforms will continue to to grow and which will kind of stagnate. I think the biggest challenge for Discord, sorry, for um, Clubhouse in, in this transition out of the pandemic is that they're the only way to experience it is listening. You know, it's not a, it's not a text based platform. It's not a, even a video based platform. And you can't just scroll on it. You know, you can't just scroll on Clubhouse like you can on Twitter. I mean, how many daily active users does Twitter get by aimless scrolling, even at work or at a bar? You know, these places that you can't just listen to a um, no one can. You know, you can you can aimlessly scroll under the table at a work meeting, but you can't aimlessly listen to a Clubhouse <laughs> session, you know, when you're but, back in an office. But you sure can accidentally hit on a Clubhouse, like tap on a Clubhouse notification. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you can. At the very wrong time. Like those, I know a lot of people turned them off. Oh my but, God. But you know, you just tap those and woof, you are just thrown in in, into a live conversation. The worst is when you like don't realize that you're in it. And then someone's like, hi, Scott. I'm like, wait, no, nope, I'm out. Yeah. And then someone, I, that happened to me once and uh, recently. And then someone was like, I'm so glad you were able to join our, our thing. I'm like, I honestly didn't even know that I did. <laughs> I mean, I mean, th- this sounds this sounds braggier than it is, but like uh, Ryan Reynolds followed me on there when he when he s- started trying it out. I don't think he ever actually did any broadcasting on there or you know any clubhouses. But every once in a while, we'd be I would go into a room and Ryan Reynolds would just appear in the audience, and everyone would freak out. But I one hundred percent guarantee you, it's not because. He saw that we were talking about like what's your favorite snack cake or whatever. And, like I'm sure it was just an accidental tap at the top of his screen. But then because he's Canadian, he would always politely sit there for like three or four minutes, <laughs> just like. And you could, I'm just picturing him being like, I didn't mean to tap that, but I would be rude to like eject out of this room after literally everyone's like, oh my god, oh my god, Ryan's here, and everyone's freaking out. And I'm just like, oh poor dude. Like, and if and if if you or I don't want to use clubhouse after the pandemic i can guarantee you that ryan reynolds does not want to do that i would hope that ryan reynolds has anything better to do (laughs) for himself for his brand for his company for literally anything you know um i think there are definitely you know great use cases for clubhouse i think about accessibility i think about international you know connection you know i think that they're you know i think about conferences that you don't need to you know travel in to go to every single conference you know there's an appeal um you know or it's a good place to just have conversations um but they either need to add stuff you know change something or just prove themselves invaluable um and find some sort of use case for when we have other things to do other than talk you know indoors with perfect audio quality, like in a quiet place. <laughs> it's like, it's so rare that you have a use case to really use it. I mean, exactly. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember, you know, when you wrote up the, the clubhouse valuation story. Um, and I, I think about Snapchat and how still after all these years is relevant to a specific audience, not me. I don't use it anymore at all. Maybe once a year, I go in to check out a funny filter. Um, but a lot of people still use it and it's doing pretty well. 
Um, so if Clubhouse say kept um, not this month over month growth, but at least kept its users and the level of engagement there, I mean, I just can't imagine that's going to keep the investors happy. So they have to do something. Um, they have to have and a Snapchat- strategy. Yeah. First, for everyone that's listening, first of all, Clubhouse has a $4 billion valuation, which is completely absurd, but we can get into that another day. Yeah, let, let's, uh, let's remind ourselves that uh, how much did Instagram sell to Facebook for? A billion? One billion. It, one billion? Is that right? One billion. Isn't it hilarious? 12? Now you look at Instagram and like how much Instagram is worth to Facebook. And they and at the time, people were like, a billion dollars. That's That's too much money. And then now you're like, Clubhouse is worth $4 billion. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, I think Discord just turned down ten billion for Microsoft. Um, I mean, some of those are. I mean, like, I think that's, I think that's probably a fair valuation that Discord somewhere in like the twenty, like twenty billion range, um, ten to twenty billion range. It's a huge platform, but oh, I mean, ima- um, imagine if if Microsoft could build Discord into every Xbox and every like. I mean, just oh, I thought it would have been. I thought it was a smart, smarter move than their pursuit of um, TikTok earlier this year or Pinterest earlier this year. Um, you know, it would have been great, but Discord clearly has other plans. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think like with with Snapchat, let's look at Snapchat for a second because like what they did was super impressive. They were completely, you know copied by Facebook and Instagram, their stories, their functionality, every app all of a sudden moved like Snapchat moves, you know, even the iPhone started moving like Snapchat moves. Um, And they completely kind of proved their endurance and relevance and built a bunch of other products. They got into the streaming video space. They, you know, capitalize on AR. They and they doubled down on just being the place where people send little chats to their friends um, with funny filters. And that's and they've actually managed to stay relevant with the same demo as, you know, even as it ages up. I mean, it's still just a huge platform for teens, you know. Yeah, it, um, it feels like it's Snapchat just a really is, impressive company. Yeah, it's like I mean, is Snapchat the best case scenario for Clubhouse? Like they had their major feature stolen by every single platform and yet they endured. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I think some people are talking about how like clubhouse needs to add something else, you know, video, you know, chat. I mean, they don't even have a direct message capability. You you have to go onto another platform to DM someone, which is a terrible UX kind of decision because it gets people off of your platform. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think that's the best case scenario, but it's just that Snap, Snapchat proved that it was a platform, not just a feature. And I think that's the same logic that TikTok took um, and that Clubhouse needs to build. You know, they are building an ecosystem with a lot of different things that could go on, you know, and they need to have a lot of different ways that users can interact. You know, it's just the way that the economy and this tech sector is working right now with all of these social media incumbents they need to innovate really fast because every social media company and audio company that you can name has a plan to eat clubhouse alive facebook spotify reddit linkedin discord um i'm probably forgetting some there's a couple smaller competitors i i love I love that Zucker Mark Zuckerberg came into Clubhouse and then a few days later was like, we're building something similar. Thing, yeah. And why wouldn't he? You know, <laughs> Facebook is in a position where they can't actually acquire any company because of 
regulatory scrutiny and antitrust scrutiny. And that's what they do. They steal a bunch of ideas um, and they see what works because they are the biggest you know, social media company in the world. Um, they are, they have bets on every single thing possible. AR, VR, um, you know, cryptocurrency, dating, uh, health, you know, anything that you can think of because they're such of such size that they need to. Um, and, and so, you know, that's a big problem for any sort of emerging platform. Um, and I think that Clubhouse has a genuinely good idea. I think they have a genuinely good product. They just need to like actually figure out how it has staying power um, because they clearly believe in what they're doing. And they had an offer for, I think, that $4 billion from Twitter, and they turned it down. Um, and yeah, so, I mean, I'm excited to see it. I, I honestly think that they are innovative in a really interesting way. They've moved the market really quickly. Um, but now it's, you know, the ball is in their court. They need to figure out how to stay relevant to their audience and attract new audiences. I, I will, um, just so we're almost out of time, but, uh, I would just say this, cause I think about this a lot that Clubhouse is one of the first times I've enjoyed social media in many years. You know, I've been using social media professionally since 2005 or six. I mean, and I've been on social media since Friendster and like, I haven't enjoyed it in a long time. Uh, in, in, especially a new platform. Usually there's just, I'm just like grudgingly getting to know a new platform because I have to for work did or you, whatever. Did you feel that way about TikTok? Um, not the first time, uh, but like part of TikTok, as we all know, is the algorithm has to learn you, right? And at first it was showing me dances and stuff that I just didn't personally care about. Eventually it learned that I'm into some really, like not say weird stuff by TikTok standards, but I'm into some very niche and specific stuff. And it now it serves all that up to me like an absolute champ. And I'm just like, well, okay, you're creepy, but you're dead on about what I'm into. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, that experience has gotten a lot better. But, you know, it's... TikTok's also a little more random. I just think in terms of like creating a room where you can have conversations with strangers, I haven't had that experience in a long time without it being super weird and gross and and sketchy. Uh, and on Clubhouse, it was often very lovely and, and quite nice. I've made friends on there, which I haven't done on a social platform in a long time. And I invited, uh, I won't name them, but I would say one of the most influential people in advertising onto one of our rooms. Uh, back when, uh, I think Co and I had done one or two around the Super Bowl and some other stuff. And this person messaged me and said, that is the first positive social media experience I've had in 10 years. And I think that's true. I think so. So before we all culturally maybe move on past <laughs> any specific app, I feel like Clubhouse accomplished something in quarantine. Just it, it gave us the socializing that maybe not everybody, but I certainly was desperately longing for and missed and it filled a, a super huge gap. And I made, a, I made some real good friends on there that I've now kept up with on all these other platforms. I, I agree. I think it's a great product and I think it's, you know, moved the market for a good reason. Um, so the, something I'll ask both of you is, you know, cause you're deeper into it than I am. You know, I've heard from some people that they're not as happy with the community there right now. And it's more salesy and it's more, you know, more grifters and the experience isn't as positive and there's more people trying to sell you their webinar. Um, and I know there's been an element of that, at least since I've been on it and since like December. And I wrote about that the first time I, you know, I wrote about the platform at all. 
Um, but have you noticed in recent weeks, you know, a change in kind of, you know, how serendipitous and lovely and interesting it is? I've actually seen more uh, problematic conversations happening there. Um, on a positive note, you know, there have been a lot of like DEI rooms that have been uplifting and empowering and really bringing people together in a way that I haven't seen before um, that, you know, some organizer wouldn't have thought of before. Um, and, and, you know, to Clubhouse's credit, Twitter spaces is not there yet. Right. I think it's just like random stuff at random times. Um, so we'll see how that evolves as well. Yeah. My beef was like, I am, I live in Twitter. Twitter is my home base of social media, but I don't like spaces because I can't tell what I'm getting into. Um, and, and I never want to be rude and like drop in and then be like, I'm not into this conversation and leave and have people be like, Hey, I saw you popped in. Cause those of us with a check Mark kind of stick out on, on these platforms. Um, so many humble brags today, David. <laughs> you have a, we all like have two name drops and a blue check. Um, <laughs> all of us, all of us here. No, uh, we're living the dream. Uh, but no, sadly, that stuff does that. It does get you more. No, definitely attention. And Twitter Spaces is so tied to. I mean, Clubhouse is tied to who you know, right? But it's also you know when you open it up and you're not sucked into a room immediately. It's you browse by topics, you know, right? Twitter Spaces, you know, has a similar functionality, but it doesn't have that whole like, you know, oh, let's you know, let's wander through the conference hallways and see which room I want to pop into. You know, it's just like this guy is doing this. I do love that Twitter spaces previews who's in the room before you commit to joining it. That was a, <laughs> was a yeah. nice feature. Um, and they're already on Android and they're out of beta. Mm-hmm. And it, what like, a concept. The, um, uh, but to your, to your point, I guess I still see kind of the same kinds of conversations happening that I, that I always did. But I was one of those people who early on with Clubhouse is like, I'm only following people I truly care about. I'm not going to follow any thought leader. I unfollowed everyone it recommended right at the beginning, which I, I strongly recommend to everybody. Um, and uh, it only recommends <laughs> venture capital. Yeah. And I was just like, everyone's like, you know, sure enough, you get all these how to be a billionaire. Um, rooms and once you unfollow those people all those rooms go away unfortunately for me i'm at the point where all of my rooms have gone away because all the people that i i joined to follow the diversity conversations around advertising that was literally the one and only reason i got on the clubhouse and they were amazing and i'm so glad i was present for that moment for that relatively brief time when they were happening daily and i was dropping into everyone i could make time for middle of the night didn't matter like if i saw them i would jump in and listen and i learned so much and met so many people through that and those conversations have moved on to other places as you write about in your story hey that's a good transition we will <laughs> i will segue out to check out scott nover's story about uh, on awake.com about the the kind of evolving nature of clubhouse the social audio he talks about walter gear who certainly was a, a central part of my clubhouse experience i've known walter for a while in terms of his role in the ad community but really seeing him thrive as a a voice of accountability a voice of community on there has been fantastic uh, so I encourage everyone to check out Scott Nover's story on Clubhouse. You can just Google Clubhouse and Adweek, or you can just go to Adweek and you will find it. Uh, as as always, it is such a pleasure, Co. Having you, I'm glad you could join us for the second half of the show. And uh, Scott, uh, so great to have you back on. It is always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yay. 
(laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Well, uh, it has been a great conversation. And thanks again to Lisa Lacey for coming on for the first half of our show as well. Our theme music is by Home. Uh, This week's episode was produced by Nick Gardner and edited by Lane McGibney. If you have not already, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Those reviews mean a lot to us personally, and they help new listeners discover the show. Uh, You can reach us anytime at podcast at adweek.com. That's podcast at adweek.com. For Adweek, I'm David Greiner, and we will be back next week. 